Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Sports Professor Rick Haro, and we're keeping score. This month, interesting decade in review. We'll start with news, then next week, tech, then philanthropy. The end of the month, we'll look ahead to 2020 and see what's up. So let's look at the deal-making top issues from the perspective of the decade in review. Number one, probably by all measure, gambling, state-by-state. Legal sports wagering outside of Nevada sports books takes hold with massive business implications. On May 14, 2018, the U.S. Supreme Court lifted the federal ban on sports betting. Since the ruling, 19 states have legalized the practice. Colorado, Illinois, Montana, New Hampshire, North Carolina, and Tennessee passing legislation this year. Additionally, 24 states have pending legislation, and legal sports wagering has already had a profound effect on virtually all American professional sports, casting a wider fan base net, spurring innovation in sports media and e-commerce, birthing an entire cottage industry of related new companies. Sports teams are embracing fans who wager. Monumental Sports and Entertainment, owners of the Washington Wizards and Capitals, only the latest ownership group to install a sports book in their venue and tens of millions of tax dollars on sports betting proceeds are adding income streams to state and community coffers. Quite clearly, a big deal, and a big deal for the ages. Second issue, that's number one, is Major League, Minor League Baseball, and the like. Rob Manfred becomes the 10th Major League Baseball commissioner during a period of labor peace and unrest in almost anything else. At the beginning of the decade, Baseball was still healing from its steroid era, a span in the 90s and 2000s where home runs were plenty and performance-enhancing drug testing scarce. Former Commissioner Bud Selig was largely credited with cleaning up the sport, and in 2015, Manford inherited a league that was in decent baseball shape but desperately trying to stay relevant to the next generation of fans. Slow play was an issue, but a pitch clock somehow made games even slower. PED bats were gone, but the balls appeared to be corked. And Manford's decade ends with a nasty sign-stealing scandal involving the World Series champion Houston Astros. One bright spot in baseball continues to be its vast minor league system, with, which ensures pro baseball is played throughout America's smaller communities. Minor league baseball saw attendance in 2019 surpass 44 million fans annually. And as baseball's winter meetings convene next week in San Diego, minor league baseball president Pat O'Connor and industry experts present a solution in improved facilities that rests in key three areas, time, money, and space. That's number th- number two. Number three, golf, golf, golf. Golf gets Tiger. Golf loses Tiger and gets Tiger back. When we last glimpsed our long-thriving hero at the beginning of the decade was on a self-imposed hiatus from pro golf in an attempt to salvage his endorsement deals and his marriage in the wake of extramarital affairs, a rehab stint, and multiple major surgeries. For most of the decade, as we watched Tiger struggle both on and off the course, we were sadly resigned to accepting the end of his reign and enormous influence on the sport and the likelihood that his passing Jack Nicklaus's record 18 
teen majors was a pipe dream. Then came 2018. Woods emerged from a fourth signature uh, surgery with a new back and a new attitude. That signature surgery was very important. He won the Tour Championship in Atlanta, and on Sunday, April 14, 2019, the greatest comeback in sports history was completed when Tiger claimed his fifth Masters title. Golf viewership is up. The casual fans are back. Tiger has a book coming out and a playing captainship at the President's Cup at Royal Melbourne next week. In 2020, the pursuit of Nicholas continues. And that's number one. And speaking of golf, this is our 223rd episode. Why is that important? Number one, our friend and, and basically legacy, Gary Player. 24 PGA events, nine majors, inducted in the Golf Hall of Fame in 2000. In 1974, he's 84 years old, feels like he's 30, a friend and inspiration, honored to have him as the first interview and keeping score. We've had many more, but as we go into the decade in review, I think it's important we look back at Gary Player's career, because when you hear his interview, you realize some of the things he was talking about two and three years ago are still relevant today. I give you Gary Player. Uh, Rick, we uh, are in our element here at St. Andrews, the home of golf. I mean, for people that have never seen this place, uh, it's so extraordinary. The atmosphere of this wonderful little town, this world-class international university, a golf course that has stood the test of time and all the great champions of the world have participated on it, the RA. And here playing the oldest of all the major championships. What an experience and what an atmosphere. And we're all waiting for the bell to bong. Well, when the bell bongs, it bongs for you, too, to pick a, up a metaphor. You were the only third golfer in history to win the career Grand Slam uh, when you're 29 years old. And obviously, Jack Nicholas, Tiger Woods followed. But the company of Gene Sarazen and Ben Hogan uh, it is significant. Uh, you've won 165 tournaments on six continents, but the celebration of the winning of the Grand Slam for you has to be very important to you personally, doesn't it? It really is, Rick. And I think, you know, in the Bible, it talks a lot about two things, wisdom and gratitude. And uh, I never forget to say a prayer of thanks that I was able to accomplish all this uh, I, I look back now, and I, I just realize that how fortunate I was. You, you can have talent. Uh, you can be determined. You can have all the assets that are required, but it's still a gift from the man above. There have only been about 12 players that I consider in the history of the, golf super, uh, the game of golf superstars, and I think you've got to win six majors to be considered a superstar. And I look back on my career and I can only say thank you, but I've made so many wonderfully terrific friends around the world, traveled more than any human being ever, dined with so many of the great country America's uh, presidents, the emirs in the Middle East, the royal families, the prime ministers, but also in the villages of Africa and India with the real poor people who I learned so much from as well. Uh, it's been a wonderful journey. It was very difficult as a young man starting out with my mother dying when I was eight, 
father a very poor man, my brother went to war to fight with the Americans and the British at 17 years of age. Sisters at boarding school, I come home to a dark house, but it really helped me become a world champion because I knew what it was to struggle. And uh, any time you become a champion, it is a struggle. It's dedication, it's applications, it's eating properly, it's exercising, it's improving the mind. So I've been very blessed. You've been blessed, but you've blessed people around you as well. And uh, let's start with the foundation, then we'll get into the business. You know, the Give Player Foundation, many people know, most people don't, that you've raised significant dollars around the world, Shanghai, Johannesburg, the Ethel schools that you, the Blair Ethel schools you've established, and every year you have the series of charity events, which I know from personal experience is incredibly well attended, and they really not out of obligation for people, basically because they want to support your ability to help. Tell me about the business of maximizing charitable revenue. Well, first of all, this could never be done without really great sponsors. Uh, Coca-Cola have been very helpful. Rolex, Berenberg Bank in Germany. I could go on and on and on with all the sponsors who've been magnificent, but also the businessmen and the celebrities and the pro golfers, uh, both senior and regular It's just been unbelievable to raise We've raised almost $60 million now uh, for charities around the world. When we raise money in America, the money goes to charities there in South Africa, goes to uh, education, mainly for our young black children in South Africa who had denied education. Uh, in China, it was for AIDS. We raised $60 million RMB for the AIDS children in China and now in Europe for homeless people. What a wonderful feeling when you've struggled and been poor to be able to change people's lives. And I always said when I was a young boy growing up, I don't know, it's just it's that little gift that I was telling you about. I never said one day when I'm a, if, I, if I'm a world champion, I said one day I'm going to be a world champion. It's something and I'm going to help people who are struggling. What do you think, though, the guys who are up and coming Jordan Spieth, who hasn't won six, but he will. Uh, Rory, who has a little trouble playing soccer, even if he doesn't have any trouble playing golf. Is there an <laughs> obligation to do the kinds of things that you are doing for charity if you become that kind of superstar, not just in golf, but in all sports? Absolutely, Rick, and that's a marvelous question you've posed. Any time you make a lot of money, or you are successful in life, we have an obligation, I believe. Now, whatever you say, Rick, there's always people who criticize and, and approve. I yep. say never let compliments go to your head and never let criticism go to your heart. Do what you believe is right. But I believe that all people who are successful, let's take golf, which is my business. All these fellas, Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, uh, they all have their own charities and they put back so much. And here they're playing today. We never played for money, but these guys are playing for a first prize of a million every week. They definitely have an obligation because the public, the public, the people 
are helping them to make that kind of money. So if somebody lends you money, you've got to pay it back. And basically, the public are lending you money, the way I look at it, to be able to play for these enormous prizes prizes that they do today. They all fly around in jets, so it's a, a very different world. Donald Trump, um, is he good for golf? Has he said too much? What's his future? How's that? It's, that's always a difficult question because everybody is always so judgmental about everything people say. Uh, you know, I've been around a long time. I, I certainly, I would never have have said the things that uh, that Donald Trump said. I I don't agree with the things the way he put it across. He could have been far more diplomatic and more presidential on his points of view, but I think uh, I think he made a mistake, and uh, and I think that uh, he'll regret saying it. But this is something I you know it's very well it's all very easy to stand on the sidelines and criticise, but. Um, uh, he's he's done a lot for golf, and he's done he's done a lot for a lot of people. We mustn't forget the good that he's done. Don't just you know hammer people. I mean, if you look at presidents of the United States of America, a lot of them have not behaved all that well, and they come back. You know, they say give the always give the man a mulligan, give the man another chance. I liked what President Clinton said. I don't believe in three strikes before you're out. I believe give them two strikes and. Uh, Let's hope that all this settles down and works out for the best because he does do a lot of good around the world. We must never forget the good and just think of the bad. It's a funny thing in life. You can have a lot of people say nice things about you, but there'll always be somebody that has hatred in his heart and say something nasty. And you'll think of the thing that's nasty instead of thinking of all the great things that were said about you because you want to be loved by everybody, and unfortunately, that's not possible. Well, sounds like the media generally. Um, tell me a little bit about the evolution of Black Knight International and Gary Player Design, Player Real Estate, the academies, Black Knight Enterprises, events, publishing wine, apparel, memorabilia, only in this context. Describe the brand of Gary Player generally, Gary, and... Uh, this will never happen because you're not going to be gone, but what does the brand look like after you are gone? Well, if you look at Chanel, for example, they're dead and gone. If you look at Bobby Jones, who was this marvelous gentleman of golf and one of the greatest players that ever lived, his legacy goes on, his brand continues. As long as you have a brand that you don't just endorse every little thing that comes along for money, that you have a brand that has class, I think the brand can go on a long time. And my son is very, very conscientious and emphatic that our brand will not just be money, but it will be class. And I'm so lucky to have a son that manages me in that regard. He's all very meticulous. And so I hope that our brand will continue to do well and I'm very optimistic that it will. Two more. One is, you talked about the U.S. Open Greens a bit. You talked about the, um, the performance-enhancing drugs in 2007. You're the oldest athlete ever to pose nude in ESPN, the magazine's annual body issue. I lumped them together only because you are known as an ambassador and a spokesman that transcends the fray 
but yet you are able to do whatever you want and speak your mind and have people listen to it, how do you do it? I think, first of all, if you can try and be diplomatic and realize that what you're doing is for a good cause. Let's take, let's take uh, ESPN uh, appearing uh, on the nude magazine. First of all, it's done very discreetly, and I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't done discreetly. I'm practicing like Jack LaLanne was my dear friend. I'm trying to get the youth of the world to realize their body is a holy temple, to, you know, to be able to, uh, to contribute to society, to work hard, save governments of all this money on, on health care. The way we're going, governments will not be able to afford it. We're becoming a world of sick people. So with the exercise and the tough routine that I live by and exercise and realize how important it is to be fit, I did this, and I'm so happy I did, because people could look and say, here's a guy who's nearly 80, look at his body, what it looks like, I'm going to change. So I feel, and I'm very happy that I did that. Let's take the U.S. Open. The U.S. Open golf course, I think it's a wonderful thing that the USGA choose a public golf course, because that's for the people, and that's golf is for the people. But they talk about speeding up play. Well, how can you have speed of play when it's taking you so long to play a round of golf and it's ruining the game of golf, this tremendous slow play? Now, the whole thing at the U.S. Open was unlike the U.S. Open to choose a course like that. And now they want to encourage people to play golf. That's the thing, to get more people playing and to make it cheaper. You go and find out what it costs to play there, Rick, on a public golf course. They're not make, they've got to make it cheaper. They've got to make golf so it can go faster. So people can play in the morning after being away all week, whether it's man or woman, in business and can spend the weekend with their families and still have the enjoyment of golf. So all I was trying to do is just say, let's go in the right direction. The rounds of golf, Rick, are going down in the world with amateurs. Professional golf has never been this healthy. But with amateurs, rounds are deteriorating. They're making the golf courses with the greens too undulating. Bunkers in front of the green, too long. They're making people not enjoy it. And it's a game where people want to go out and have enjoyment. So the whole thing at the U.S. Open was unlike the USGA's philosophy. Performance enhancing drugs in 2007. Now, about 12 years ago, I said athletic sport is riddled with performance enhancing drugs and I was criticized now all of a sudden 12 years later they say gee Gary you were really right I mean you read about it every single week they tested 104 baseball players some time ago and 104 were positive yep. <laughs> they've seen yep. golfers they've seen the Tour de France I mean this was long before Lance Armstrong. And the professor at Harvard University said that it was hard for a man to finish the last part of the Tour de France unless he was on some kind of performance-enhancing drugs. You read about it every single week and almost every single sport, there's been something happening. And it's a well, tragedy. And yeah, I don't know how you're going to stop it. I don't know how you're going to stop it, Rick. Well... You know, the bottom line is you stop it by listening to people who care what you do. 
there you go speaking your mind again and having change on the industry. I've got one final question for you, probably the most important one. You Rick, I'm in no world. hurry. All right, Rick, well, if you have a couple of questions, I'm very happy to answer them. This is the most important one as we end this, too, because I want your perspective on it. You've traveled the world. You've spent years in the industry. What's the most important thing to you? Winning your nine majors, winning the career Grand Slam, designing 325-plus golf courses, traveling 25 million miles, doing 1,000 sit-ups a day, or having 21 grandkids. How's that? <laughs> uh, you can't I answer that say, one. What's the answer to that one? They're all, they're all important, but when you've got 22 grandchildren and six children, you're a rich man. And we just yeah. spent a holiday in Greece all together, all 40 of us. They ate like it was the last supper. They kept their head down. They never said much at meals. I said, if you could keep your head down like that, when you're hitting a golf ball, you'd all be champions. So there now well, I've got to come back and win a tournament just to break even for the Bulls. Listen, that's the right answer, and it's not 21, it's 32. That's what happens when you're Gary Player. <laughs> Thank you, as usual. You're a good friend. I am honored to have you do this always. And by the way, in advance, November 1, ladies and gentlemen, happy 80th birthday. Thank you so much. Love to all your viewers and listeners. Let's talk about the Sports Tech Minute. And in this case, let's look at some of the decade interview issues relative te technology. One of the key ones, eSports. Only a handful of years ago, eSports was only a sport in South Korea and was generally only followed by geeky, techie guys who lived there in their parents' basement, or so we thought. By 2018, according to Motley Fool, eSports viewership grew 13.8% to about 380 million people worldwide, and analysts expect this number to reach 557 million by 2021. The growth in eSports revenue closely parallels the fan numbers, with 2018 industry revenues growing to about 906 million, a 38% jump. More than half of U.S. stick and ball pro sports leagues and teams and their ownership groups and athletes are investing in sister eSports operations, many operating with similar branding to the traditional sport franchises. Multiple amateur competitions have over a million top prizes, and the sport is under consideration for future Olympics inclusion. The future of sports, it seems, has arrived with a joystick and a HD monitor in hand. The other top tech issue, by the way, seems to be centered in the NBA with star athletes becoming media moguls. LeBron James and partner Maverick Carter's uninterrupted network, Spring Hill Entertainment Company upended the world of sports media by working with athletes to tell unique stories from their point of view. NBA future Hall of Famer Kobe Bryant won an Oscar for Dear Basketball, and his company invested in more than 28 companies. Russ Westbrook, Steph Curry, also involved in all of this, robust business portfolios compri comprising media, fashion, and technology. Of all of the issues this decade, those to me are the most important from a tech perspective. And this is the Esports Minute of Keeping Score with Rick Horo. As the esports industry looks forward to 2020, the most important story will be the move to regionalization. For the first time, two esports leagues will be geolocalized in cities around the world. The Overwatch League was the first to introduce city-based teams, but for the first two years of the league, almost all games were played in Los Angeles. In 2020, the league will hit the road, with two cities hosting half of the 20-team league for each week of the regular season. 
At the same time, the Call of Duty League will be doing something similar in its 12-team league. Both leagues are owned by Activision Blizzard and share many of the same owners, including a wide array of traditional sports owners. Stan Kroenke, Mark Wilpon, Frank McCourt, and Robert Kraft are all direct owners of teams. Those owners bought into these leagues, hoping that this move to regionalization would open up a key revenue stream previously missing for esports organizations. That's all for this Esports Minute of Keeping Score. Back to Rick Hora. And again, from a decade perspective, there are two you really can't avoid. First one, Larry Nasser and the sex abuse scandal. Thousands into the Me Too movement in sports. In November 16, Nasser was indicted on state charges of sexual assault from, and, uh, from uh, uh, children ranging from 1998 to 2005, uh, much months prior. Obviously, the situation continued to be bad, and the good part about it is Larry Nasser obviously serving sentences, but even more important, you have a, a clear voice with the Me Too movement growing by leaps and bounds. Outside of this horrible expose, the sports industry in general also forced to reckon with its own Me Too abuses. Jerry Richardson subsequently forced to sell his NFL team. Patriots owner Robert Kraft facing as of yet unresolved chargers and numerous people from the front office. But again, the key issue is more awareness than ever before in the context of abuse and the Me Too movement. Finally, from a power perspective, the U.S. women's national team ascendant, number one position in the rankings history, the women's national team, number one continuously from March 2008 to November 2014, winning its friendlies against a whole host of countries. U.S. women's soccer and U.S. soccer reached a deal on a whole new collective bargaining agreement for a pay increase. Then came 2019 when the women's national team once again triumphed in the FIFA Women's World Cup in France and shattered scoring records in the process. Last summer's cup created superstars along the lines of Megan Rapino and Alex Morgan and once again bolstered interest in women's soccer at all levels in the U.S., especially during the team's summer-long victory tour, which sold out NFL stadiums nationwide. However, the team's fight for equal working conditions and pay is ongoing, as while they signed a more favorable CBA through 2021, they still don't receive pay equal to that of the struggling U.S. men's national team. But that issue also clearly a top power of sports philanthropic priority over the last decade. We have a lot more to talk about for Decade in Review, and we'll have subsequent podcasts dealing with that. But as of now, thanks for everybody who's put this together. Thank for Gary Player, who was our beginning interview and gave us inspiration to continue. Thanks for you guys to continue to watch and listen. And join us again next week when we continue to keep score. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Assistance provided by Carlos Swadek, Tanner Simpkins, Reuters Digital. I'm Ricardo. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.